0: So as much as we see things we as a brand charge for as the end results, they are also a part of the journey of building that fandom. How did SpongeBob find his way onto the NFL field? Why is Lego taking the fashion world by storm? Where did all that Baby Yoda merch come from? And why are people going crazy for Captain America pajamas? We explore what makes certain consumer products stand out above the rest, thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to Season 2 of The Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global.
1: Welcome to Season 2 of The Licensing Mixtape, and in this episode, we are talking to Jelena strategy director, and Gary Pope, co-founder and CEO of Kids Industries, to take a closer look into the psychology of kids fandom, its role in the brand journey, and ultimately how to communicate with kids today amidst so much change. Uh, now, personally, I've been really looking forward to this episode ever since I sat down with Gary and Yelena. Guys, how are you? How's lockdown treating you?
2: Um, I'm I'm, I'm gonna to defer to Yelena. Uh,
0: all good. I think like most people, it's a soft launch of 2021. We're just
2: waiting to see what happens next. I'm thoroughly enjoying it, if I'm honest with you. I I quite like being at home, but I shouldn't say that, should I?
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with it at all because i'm exactly in the same boat as we just discussed yeah. so look for our listeners first let's get some context uh, what can you tell us about kids industries i mean you've worked with the likes of marvel legoland mattel mcdonald's Viacom, cbs just to name a few what do you do as a full service creative agency
2: ben thank and look th- first of all thank you for having us um because we've been looking forward to this as well because um not only is the podcast uh, a regular on my phone but also you know you're a great bloke to listen to so thank you um <sighs> Uh, and, and I can see you going very red so look what do we, what do, we do we solve problems um, we make our clients brands and businesses stronger and, that, and that's our mission if you like and you ask but full service by full service we mean that we hold our clients hand through insight gathering the development of, of robust and validated strategy which is yelling the sublime gift and then finally we turn that strategy into creative execution um, and that execution can be just about anything um, as long as it 100% sold the problem uh, that our client has and that it makes their, their business stronger. So, you know, last year, just for all this nonsense uh, developed, uh, we reworked the entire Royal Caribbean family offer. Now, that's everything from the branding and the communication, the design of the family spaces on board their ships and their private destinations um, through to the PR plan. Last summer, we helped develop Mythica, the new land for for, for Legoland, and that was working with you know, hundreds of children in a, in a very co-creative kind of way to make a, a space that they really loved. Last week, I should say, shouldn't I, we won the Kids Screen Award for the best learning app for Amazing Planet, which is a subscription, digital, physical, crossover, augmented reality product that we built in partnership with the, uh, with the World Wildlife Fund. So-
0: I'm cheering. <laughs>
2: So, so, look, long story short we don't we don't mind what we do as long as it solves our client's problem, and we can do that because the consumer, whether that be the child or the carer, is at the absolute epicenter of everything we, we do and has been for well the last twenty years, from our, our junior board of directors, kids that work with us day to day, through to, you know, the daily conversations that we have with the grown ups in children's lives.
1: And this is one of the main things that I absolutely love um, about the kids industry brand is that you have that co-creative approach with kids. It's not speculative, you build it on data, then you work with kids themselves uh, in order to create all of these solutions. So Yelena, I mean, from a strategy director point of view, um, you know, for example, License Global looked at the worlds uh, of kids for our March issue. I mean, how has the world of the trial changed in 2020? And obviously, like you say, it's a soft launch for 2021. I mean, what do you think brands need to do to communicate effectively?
0: It's a bit, the more things change, the more they stay the same, isn't it? Because there's so many changes on one level. We're at home now. The screen time has changed significantly. The politics around the sort of household-level politics rather than anything more global that would be more distressing to discuss. But the household politics are changing around what you're allowed to do, where and when. Parents don't see gaming as entirely negative. We're appreciating all of these online reactions. So there's been a lot of changes around that, uh, but at the same time, kids are less active. We found some really interesting and sad stats that parents were more worried about children's social skills, around 50%, than their children catching COVID. So on one end, we have this scary pandemic, but on the other, we're also scared of our kids being at home. So there have been changes, but at the same time, what do brands need to do? And fundamentally, Aren't we doing the same things we always were? We're trying to stand out in a crowded marketplace and offer some real value. For a lot of our clients, that has been in 2021 and onwards. Some of the key considerations we've taken into account are being accessible. So how can you offer something so that all children have an equal chance to engage? There may well be paywalls further down the line. You should not give out your products for free like there's no tomorrow, but how can you make it How can you open up rather than close down? Uh, There's a real opportunity there to build awareness. I will use the buzzword. There's a real opportunity there to build, build fandom by being more open, by being more helpful, by letting people see what you have to share. Uh, So being open, being accessible is something we would invite brands to do in 2021. Uh, At the same time, we think it's incredibly important for brands to take a stand, regardless of who you are. In many respects, let's be on the right side of history. We see children and very young children now in research saying we want our brands to be more diverse. We want to see representation, diversity, inclusivity. And it's brands know that this is what everyone needs to do. They can be scared to action it. Who's our audience? Will everyone like it? And I think there comes a time when you need to make that decision to, even if it's scary or hard, to be on the right side of history. But that doesn't just mean in how you present yourself. That also means who you hire and how you speak to them. So that's something we are looking to work with our clients more. And then finally, play and experiment. What I don't mean by that is let us be on every platform that opens within two weeks of opening because that would be very poor marketing ROI. And I think especially at the time of the pandemic, people will rely on what they know works and what they know is safe because it's a scary time. You may not have as much budget as you always had. So to be going around experimenting is hard. But I also hope that we don't close off fully to some really exciting innovations that are coming out, be that uh, sort of digital collectibles or advertising within gaming or TikTok. Uh, None of these will be right for everyone, uh, but it's important to leave some budget aside uh, for trying new things and experimenting so that you don't get stuck in the old ways.
1: No, well, I mean, I would completely agree with that. I mean, there does seem to be a massive shift in priorities for brands. Um, I love what you brought up with like in-game skins, Uh, so you've got things like football popping up in Fortnite now for the first time ever, huge collaborations between brands, so it does seem more prolific. Uh, But there is also the argument that all of these trends are in the background anyway, they were all going to happen and it's just all an exacerbated timeline. I mean, Gary, would you agree with that? I think
2: that we can probably say, you know, I've always said that, that, that evolution, you know, it happens in small in, incremental jumps, doesn't it? But, you know, we we have experienced, I think, you know, half a generation acceleration here in many ways, because I think where we are now isn't really where those brands that are more at the forefront of, of digitization, you know, they probably expected to be more here in 2024, 2025, 2026. You know, things have accelerated so very fast. And part of that is, you know the acceptance that that Yelena uh, spoke to, but it's also about the way that children have obviously embraced the digital space as well, and so are consuming more digitally, and that's a blessing and a curse. There's some good things about that. There's some very bad things about that. I want to just go back for a moment to something that that Yelena alluded to, and if I think about children now, particularly Gen Alpha, Gen Alpha are the most activist-oriented generation that we've had to date. They're the ones that are ready to say what they really think more than any, you know, and we're seeing that come through in some of the, some of our work on, on a daily basis. And I think that the more a brand can be authentic, that word in, in in inverted commas, and be itself the better place they're gonna be to embrace this new dynamic digital acceleration that we're all going through. It, it's, it's a crazy time to do what we do, actually. I, I, I'm not that old. But I, I bloody well am now, you know, I feel older.
0: Uh, we actually did a really interesting research project that talked, talked to authenticity, but also explored my perspective of you don't need to be perfect immediately. Mm. I mean, it depends what you're doing. If what you're doing is terribly, terribly illegal and wrong, then yes, you need to be perfect. But for most brands, you don't need to be immediately perfect, but you need to be honest and say what you're working on and how it's going. So if you're shifting your packaging to be more sustainable and you do not have the perfect solution, it's okay to come out with a 60% right solution and say, these other parts are hard for us. We're trying to manage our cost as well as your satisfaction. Please bear with us as we work through uh, and parents and children in that project were actually the kids were sort of six to 12. We're saying we're looking for honesty and we're looking for transparency uh, and we understand that ultimately it's hard to do 100% of the business 100% perfectly 100% of the time but strive towards doing the right thing and say tell the truth.
1: Well, I mean, taking into account accessibility, these incremental evolutionary steps, uh, authenticity and honesty, which are all huge trends in what we're seeing brands doing, what are some of the campaigns or uh, launches or products or statements or anything that you've seen a brand do over 2020 into 2021 or even something that you've worked on? What's a good example from, I don't know, Gary, let's start with you.
2: There's been so many, isn't there? Um, I I think... um, Pokemon Go. So, if we think about, about the way that they adapted the gameplay, you know, walk short distances, postpone the meetups, took ownership, but didn't, you know, kibosh their business. Um, they were one of the top five earning games last year, you know, and, and I, my, you'll probably know better than me, Ben, but my understanding is Fortnite is not even in the top 10. You know, so, so that's interesting. You know, Niantic particularly has relied on on those features like the um, the remote raids and the team go rocket balloons, you know, air balloons that bring fights to players rather than make them travel. And that's just one of the few changes they made since the restrictions from last year. It's not, I'm going to use your word, they managed to pivot in a particular way um, since I think it's, I'm yelling or no better than me, I think it was March last year when they were actually on it. There, bang, off we go, you know. And and fantastic, and it's it's grown rather than shrunk. Have you got one, Yelena?
0: Uh, I've had some prepared, but I'll, I'll I'll change my mind now because uh I think Ben said also the people you've been working with, hmm. uh, but I actually think uh, one of our clients, Coolabah uh, and Warrior Cats, have been doing really well in terms of it's an open brand almost by its definition, in that the product we're working on with them is a fandom hub it is a place for so fans
2: to interject there and say that that was the kids screen award we won last year so that's 2 years in a row sadly it certainly was I'm just,
1: I just throwing that
0: yeah. in. Just throwing that in. I'm just
2: throwing that in. And there was Pepper Pig a few years ago. So that's three out of five. But anyway, sorry, Yelena, carry on.
0: What I love, love about the brand and what they're building there is that they are co creating it with fans uh, and taking influence and val- valuing their opinion and celebrating the f- art that the fans are creating, the narratives and stories that the fans are building. Uh, and I think that's something that mm. works well in mm. fandom, mm. but that I believe the team. At Kuai has been paying a lot of attention to over the past uh, 12 months in particular. Um, but they, they, what
2: they do that so few brands do do is that they, they, they listen, they really listen. They listen to what their fans are saying and doing. And they enable and they empower and they respect and all of those sort of things. Because, as you know, you know better than me, you know, fandom really comes from the grassroots up. And you've got to you've got to water that fandom for it to explode into what Warriors has exploded into.
0: Fandom comes from fans. Uh, It's kind of one of those truisms, but one that can be forgotten in assuming that fandom is ownership of the brand but it's yeah. kind of the uh,
2: ownership of the fans yeah. another one that I'd probably want to just call out really Ben is is because um, I think it's it's the best 150 quid you you can pay for the BBC um, bite size and what bite-size did last year um, and children's and education as a department generally what they've done in you know from day one they have prepared you know digital digitized content and learning experiences. For the nation's children, and they've done it. They've just pivoted so beautifully to, prov- to provide rich learning experiences, you know, to reach those children that perhaps, you know, aren't well placed to have remote learning in, 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 of any quality. So, you know, a, a big shout out to the BBC for, for being the BBC and doing what they do really, really well.
1: Bite Size is such an underserved brand. I mean, I remember it like when yeah. I was going through GCSEs, yeah. and to think that it was one of those- it was not it? Yeah, absolutely, you know, back when they had the wireless. But <laughs> when, when all of this took off, there was a genuine solution to a really, really big problem that the bite size served, and I thought that was fantastic, and it's great that you called that out. Just going back to fandom, because yeah. um, I remember when we first sat down you spoke to me about warrior cats and said, it was like Game of Thrones, but with cats. (laughs) Um, And that always stuck with me and that, And you said it had such a massive, dedicated, loyal fan base. Yeah. So let's kind of stick with fandom. I mean, it's a core part of the brand journey. As you say, it has to, you know, bubble up for a long time before it explodes into what we do, uh, into licensing program, consumer products, um, what have you. So how does it work with kids? And when they get to the age of fandom, how does the psychology of fandom actually work?
0: I like that question. I also like that it uh, it included the words "age of fandom," uh, which we did ponder. Because is there is there an age of fandom, uh, or does it just look differently at different ages? I think we can probably say that babies are fans of their parents, uh, but not not that much else, uh, just because they don't they're not familiar with much else. But fandom starts from a really early age, and it does take different shape. It's a really complex mix of. Uh, there's a degree of affinity, obviously, but there's a huge amount of self-definition. What does this fandom say about who I am or what does it help me discover about me? Then you can overlay that with a big, the importance of community. Who does this fandom help bring me closer to and how does it make my life better, easier, more wonderful by being able to interact and to share it with these people? Uh, and then you can overlay that with uh, interaction moments and how can I actually... Consume it. You made an interesting point there around suggesting that what results out of fandom are the consumer products and the licensing programs, and they do, uh, but we also do treat them uh, within our fandom model as a a root source of fandom. You can't roll out and you shouldn't roll out uh, sort of a, a huge CP program before you have a foundation. However, it is a part of building fandom too, as well as it is a result of it. From loads of our fans research, we find that fans feel better uh, and feel well about what they're fans of when they can consume it a little bit. And that might be watching a YouTube video, but it might be wearing the T-shirt or uh, buying something, uh, a, d- a digital purchase on the internet, or supporting their creators on Patreon. So as much as we see things we as a brand charge for as The end results, they are also a part of the journey of building that fandom. So age of fandom, I think, maybe it starts with kind of a bigger self-awareness and awareness of the world around you and just evolves over time and becomes more complex uh, as different elements intermingle. The way we look at fandom looks at all of these dimensions, so to speak, psychological dimensions and ways in which you can consume it. Ultimately, building a fandom model that suggests that The more of these elements you can activate, the more robust your fandom will be in the long run. You don't need to activate them all at once, Uh, you can take your time. Uh, Some will have more value than others in a different scenario, but overall the objective is to have a robust fandom that is well supported in terms of self-definition and community and interaction moments.
2: If any listeners wanted to download the model and, and some of the detail that Yellen was talking about, Ben, they can do so at our website, which is kidsindustries.com. And if they slash fandom, there's a, a lovely document there that will really um, provide that background.
1: It's true. I have actually read that myself. Some of the resources that you guys create really take a deep dive into what it is that makes people tick. And that's why I find kids' industry so fascinating. So one of the aspects that I wanted to talk about was fandom and nostalgia. So yeah. do we keep these brands with us as we grow up? And do we share with our kids, you know, Star Wars, Back to the Future, things that we grew up with as we grow? Up? Is is that an integral part of fandom? I don't know, Gary, maybe you can speak to that. Well, it, 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 the true answer is yes, it is.
2: You know, a piece of work we did recently looking at looking at, at Parenting, particularly, and, and I'm going to speak from a dad's perspective, but particularly dads, we can't wait to introduce. You know, your, your son's nine months old, and no <laughs> yeah. doubt he's already got a Le- Lego UCS X-wing sitting he's in it, covered, waiting for. Them. You know, my, my 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 son did when he was born, and my my, my, my two godsons both got their uh, their Lego UCS uh, X-wings before they could walk. It, it, it's something innate in us that wants that enables us to to relive our own childhood through through the precarious you know hands of, of, of that our new little people and I think that that particularly now Ben particularly now that we're in this situation that we're in and there is light the end the tunnel that's great but particularly now we need comfort And we take comfort from things that we know, obviously. And actually, who's the most important person in your life as a parent? Well, it's the little person that you're looking after. So if you can imbue a little bit of your comfort onto them with something that you can share with them. Wow. You know, nostalgia seems to me an inept word to use it's more about you know it's more about coming together and sharing something which has great meaning and that you want to bestow upon your child and you know that's part and parcel of being a parent isn't it? you sort of you create these little things and you do everything you can to make sure they have the best opportunity in life and it doesn't hurt if you uh, you show them some of the things that might have helped you along the way.
0: We actually found that where brands have had a revival or sort of older brands that are now still doing something, there is a difference between fans who have kids and fans who do not, yeah. in that those who have kids have more tolerance for the new touch points. And probably because they have the opportunity to see them from a fresh perspective, to see someone else being excited about them, to share them, those who do not have kids are more likely to be questioning of the new and perhaps more challenging and critiquing over it. It's a bit of a broad sweeping statement but they have been results supported in a couple of pieces of research where your fans with kids will be more tolerant towards your innovation.
2: There's also a social thing going on as well Yelena isn't there because if we think about particularly millennial parents they seem to have a disposition to to break down the barriers between themselves and their child. There is a, you know, a lot of them report, and I think there's there's up to 65% in some studies, report that they see themselves as a BFF to their child, that there's a friendship there. And, of course, that friendship then enables the sharing of those things and a a co-opted fandom, I suppose.
0: I always want to ask the children as well. Do you feel your parents are your friends too? (laughs) For a more complete study? (laughs)
1: Well, I love the idea that there is, you know, that that nostalgia isn't a big enough term for what we're discussing. And I'm going to I'm going to take that on because I actually think that's a really nice way of putting it. Nostalgia doesn't even cover it. But let's get down to brass tacks because I'm aware of time. So what are kids looking for in 2021? Um, I mean, how do parents work into that journey more so over recent years?
2: Okay, so I think what I said a few moments ago certainly plays into that. The fact that, that millennial parents see themselves as friends of their children and therefore, you know, are that little bit closer. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean that um, that doesn't mean that they want to uh, they particularly want to to play with their children. And there's an interesting statistic that the um, the thing that 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 parents uh, that children want most to do with their parents is play with toys with them. And the things that parents want to do least is play with toys with their children. <laughs> it, it's it's a weird, weird dichotomy. But you think about it. Do you want to sit there really and play? I don't know farms or Noah's Ark or vets or whatever there's only so much of that you can actually do but as parents we understand the importance of it and so we actually we put that kind of preference aside and we just jump in with both feet and, and we endure it so there is a, there is definitely a movement towards parents becoming closer to their children and the things that the children are experiencing I think I think Look, I'm, I'm going to sort of answer this in a roundabout sort of way, really, because I think there's a much bigger bigger thing going on here. We're hearing a lot about kids not being able to study properly or remote learning's not working. They're falling behind academically and, and all of this kind of thing. Look, I'm, I'm an ex-school teacher and, and, and a big believer in formal education on, on a number of levels. However, I think that we are as parents are doing ourselves a disservice if we find ourselves being guilt ridden that our kids aren't, I don't know, learning the alphabet, learning algebra, knowing when the Battle of Hastings was, whatever it might be. That isn't important right now. Children will always acquire that knowledge. What's important is that we enable their development. And that's the real threat here. It's the socialisation. It's enabling children to play, actually play. And if we think about an in-licensed product You know, our specialism obviously is is in children and families and that tends to be younger. And if we think about, you know, some of the Nordic countries where preschool doesn't really end until you're six or seven. And actually, you think what those those four nations of a total, I think they've got 12 million people between them. You think what they've given the planet versus what our island of 65 million has given. And we start kids at school at four. They're enabling their children to go play, to do, to explore. And I, I think you know what the children want in 2021. They want the opportunity to play, and hopefully to play outdoors. I think that that will be my 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 answer to that in a kind of an ideal and 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 kind of uh, perhaps an an over rose tinted spectacle kind of way. But that's what they need.
0: It is a big question. In Serbia, it starts at seven, and I know sort of my mum's a kids doctor and very much a proponent of. You don't don't start too early. The latest you can start is is the best because yeah, yeah, totally. children will inevitably learn to write and acquire all the factual knowledge they need to. And actually, keeping them playing and curious about the world is the core part of those early yeah, yeah, years education anyway.
2: And listen, you know, um, I think I, I, when I, when you very kindly had me speak um, last year, you know, one of the things that I said at the time and that I believe in more than ever is you know licensed product particularly you know well made licensed product which are which are good products good toys bring a lot of sunshine to children's lives we, we we in the licensing industry we have a role to play in actually making sure that those children are you know mentally healthy and and experience a sort of that they can, you know, well-being.
1: So I took my professional hat off and I just put my new father hat on and I was just blown away by all of that. So I didn't know about the Nordic element of Mm. letting kids play until they're around about uh, seven. Um, And then the absolute rapid speed in which we throw kids into the academic culture. And I didn't know that there was a pair off there. So that's really interesting.
2: I was a primary school teacher. Putting kids into school so early is just total nonsense. (sighs) It definitely seems like it. 100%. Well, you know, you can learn a lot more by running through a forest than you can from looking at one on the internet.
0: And some handy skills. So I climbed my first tree last year. Maybe I've missed out. as a... don't think year. I've ever
1: been fit last to year. Climb a
0: tree. Last year. I know. I, was a, I was a a nerdy a child.
1: That was a tree of some significance for you.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick this up with you afterwards, Ellen. Um,
1: <laughs> that's your first tree. Um, Uh, We are running out of time. I'm just going to ask one quick question to both of you. What are the key or one key element that you're forecasting for this year in terms of trend? Now, it could be anything. Um, It could be psychological shifts, consumer behavior. It could be big products, big platforms. What are you seeing?
0: Sorry, Gary, I'm going to take a really chunky one that takes with it uh, almost society and the internet altogether. And they'll go with the democracy of who owns what and what do people do and uh, who makes decisions around brands, around communities. And I think I'm kind of looping back into fandom and consumer behavior. And I don't think people's needs are fundamentally changing. And fandoms are about communicating and they are about consuming. But the way internet work is changing and these days you are just so much more able to express yourself, to participate in a community, to moderate the community. I could start podcasting or being in Clubhouse or creating YouTube videos about a brand and almost become a bigger brand than the original one if Mm. I had the talent. Mm. Loads of content creators sort of from YouTube or Twitch uh, like Ninja, like ASI, are Huge creators IPOing in their own right and having strong possibilities for future engagement, possibly bigger than the games they started speaking about. So, for me, all of that I would put it as a democracy of communication almost, where fans can influence the brands and brands can influence the fans, more community, more collaboration. Uh, and it does take back to that trend of opening up rather than closing down. It's not easy to play in that field. Uh, it requires maybe more listening than we're previously used to. Maybe more taking in influences rather than focusing on one path that never ever changes. Uh, but I think the rewards are exciting. And that's my that's my friend.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna move I'm gonna move that one on. I'm gonna say um, role models and inclusion is gonna continue to grow. Authenticity, all of that that good stuff. You know the journey that we've begun in representation is, I think, now reaching a critical mass where, at long last, we're going to be in a position where where representation becomes, you know, it's going to be a journey forever, isn't it? But we're going to get to a position where actually, you know, it is it is active. We see that most in in particularly, and I'm really proud of this, um not because I've done anything at all, but because of the industry, in the children's television industry, particularly in the UK, but but in the US as well. There is a huge movement to ensure that representation is happening, and we're seeing that right across, um, right across all, all of the channels, whether it be OTT or or, or or linear. One of the things that perhaps isn't happening as much as I would like is the representation of children um, that have some form of physical disability. I think it's only one percent of characters are, are represent- uh, represented represented as, as, as in any way uh, challenged. Um, but that is changing. There's a lovely, wonderful agency. I'll, I'll tell by the name of Zebedee that um, that have talent. That are uh, that are challenged in some way, and they are absolutely storming it and really changing, you know, particularly how producers and content makers, you know, ensure inclusion and representation. And there's of course lots and lots of these these different initiatives. But for me, at the end of this year, I think we're going to be in a much happier, representative place than we were previously.
1: Amazing, and um, and that's all we've got time for, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, do you mean that? Thank you.
2: Do you actually mean that?
1: You know I mean
2: that. Okay, all right. <laughs> We've we loved it too. It's it's really fun Thank to Thank you well, yeah.
1: As always, the License Global team wants to hear from you. Get in touch with us at news at licenseglobal.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook to leave your thoughts or just to stay in the loop with the latest news. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to follow us on whichever platform you found us on and we'll be hard at work bringing you more episodes of the Licensing day. Until then, we'll catch you next time.